Well, hi, everyone. It's lovely to be back speaking to you today. Um, it feels like it's been a while. I think that's partly because it turns out, lots of you will already know, first trimester of pregnancy is really hard and you feel really tired all the time. So uh, I took some time off the rotor, but I'm back today and I'm speaking to you. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> and Brogan. Um, from Genesis 2. Just before I begin, I really feel like God is on the move already today. I really felt the spirit on me during worship and I really think that he's already started to break through and to bring freedom. I think there's something about when we're in a posture of worship, freedom comes. And worship looks loads of different ways. It looks like singing songs. It also looks like giving your money and it also looks like celebrating one another's birthdays and it looks like sitting in your chair and listening. All of those are postures of worship. And I really, really believe that as we are in a posture of worship together this afternoon, that God wants to continue working in us. So here in Genesis 2, if you keep the passage open in front of you, because I'll be referring to it throughout, the writer pauses between big cinematic events. So in Genesis 1, we heard Brogan speak on that last week. We've got the creation of the world. And it's big, it's dramatic. Stars are flung into space and life is springing up from the ground. You can imagine it on a cinema screen. It would be an amazing thing to see. And then in Genesis 3, we've got the fall, which is probably the most famous and most referenced part of the biblical story of creation. Nothing actually new happens in Genesis 2. So after telling the narrative of the creation story, what happens on each day, the writer of Genesis takes this pause and rather than moving on to the tragic act of rebellion in Genesis 3, he chooses to return to day six and he retells the creation of humankind. And today we're going to be exploring why the writer takes that pause and why the writer retells the creation of us. And in this detail, I believe that the writer of Genesis wants to teach us more about our purpose here on earth. It's abundantly clear in all of scripture that our purpose is to worship God. And Genesis 2 teaches that our purpose is to worship God through our relationship with him, through our work and through being in community. So today we'll be looking together at being created by a relational God, at being created to work and at being created to be in community with one another. God is already speaking to us today, but more specifically, I believe that he wants to speak to those of us who are struggling to believe that the God of the universe loves us and wants to partner with us as individuals. Those of us who are burnt out at work and who are really struggling to find joy in getting up in the morning and getting started with their working day. Those of us who are burnt out in relationships and burnt out from community, family and church and friendships. And those of us who are lonely and are actually feeling really desperate for connection and really desperate for meaningful friendships. So as I speak to you today, pay attention because I really believe that the Lord has so much more to say to you than he already has been saying. So listen out for him. So firstly, I want to look at how we are created by God. And I know that's a really simple point. Genesis 2 teaches us that we're created by God. So if we have a look together at verses 4 to 7, I'll just read that to us again. 
This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now no shrub had appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came came up from the earth and watered the whole of the surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. What an image that paints to us. So we've got Adam, which means man or humanity, is moulded from the Adama, which means dust. And as an English teacher, I can't help but appreciate that really beautiful wordplay there between Adam and Adama. And then God breathes his life into us and suddenly we are alive, we're living beings. And what a privilege it is to be beings that are filled with the breath of our very creator God. But if we pause for a moment and look back at Genesis 1, in verse 30 of Genesis 1, God describes the beasts and the birds and the creatures as everything that has the breath of God, sorry, yeah, the breath of God in it. That's verse 30. So while it is amazing to be a God-breathed being, it actually isn't that which sets us apart from the rest of creation. It's something else. Now, last week, Brogan looked at how Genesis 1 teaches us that we're made in God's image and also that our purpose is to rule with him over creation. But the writer of Genesis returns again to this moment in verses 4 to 7 of being created in Genesis 2 to tell us a bit more about what that actually means to be made in the image of God and to rule with him. And look closely because it's easy to miss, especially because we're reading in translation. But in Genesis 1 from last week, our creator is described as God. God said, let there be light. God saw that it was good. But what name is he given in Genesis 2? So just scan through in your Bibles in front of you, verses 4 to 7 again, and see if you can spot the difference. So in Genesis 2... God is called Lord God. In Hebrew, that's Yahweh Elohim. So in Genesis 1, he's named God, which is Elohim, it means deity. In Genesis 2, he's named Yahweh. And in this simple change, I think, is a deep and profound message that the writer of Genesis wants to signal to us. So the first time that God introduces himself as Yahweh is actually in the book of Exodus, chapter three, Moses in the burning bush. God says to Moses, I am who I am, or in Hebrew, Yahweh. And this is God revealing his name to Moses. And in ancient Hebrew culture, to tell your name to somebody is essentially to invite someone into friendship. It's to invite someone into relationship with you. It's an intimate, private, friends-only invitation. Yahweh is God's covenantal name. It's his intimate name that he uses for his people to show us that he'll keep his covenant. And by covenant, we mean his promise. So what, is, what has God promised to us? He's promised us that he will bring his kingdom in its fullness and restore the world to its Eden state with no pain and no suffering and no shame so that we can walk with him in the garden again. So here, 
The writer of Genesis uses the name Yahweh Elohim, translated in our Bibles as Lord God, because he's denoting to us that there's relationship involved. This name is used throughout scripture to signal to us as the reader that we're learning something about our relationship with God. What sets us apart from the rest of creation is that we are invited to be in relationship with him. And maybe you find that hard to believe, that God, the creator of the whole universe, is interested in you, cares for you personally, and invites you to partner with him. But it's true, God is not distant from humanity. Even the messy detail of our lives, he is there with us in all of it. And this is an invitation to beyond just friendship. He invites us to be co-creators with him, to be teammates, to share in the ownership and the reigning and the ruling over this world. So it's an empowering relationship that at once provides an invitation to a never-ending and unchanging and unstoppable love, while also a powerful authority. We have been created by a relational Yahweh God. And the second thing that really got my attention in Genesis 2 is that we are created to work. And you've heard me right, part of our purpose as humankind is to work. So let's look at the scripture again. Verses 8 to 14, if you just have a scan through them, it's a description of the Garden of Eden different rivers, different resources that you find in the garden, gold, etc. This garden is full of rich potential and resources. It is the perfect harvesting ground that God has given to us to create and to build and to invent. God puts us into Eden when it's wilderness. Those things haven't been made into anything yet. This garden is created as a long-term project for us as humankind to work on to cultivate, to invent tools and machinery and create architecture and art and culture. And then in verse 15, the writer says, the Lord God took the man, put him into this garden of Eden to work it and take care of it in all of its richness and its potential. So work then isn't a result of the fall. Work is not here because Adam and Eve rebelled against God and the world became broken by sin, but it was here before things got messy and before things got bad. And I want to be really honest with you, currently in the season of life that I am in, I find that really hard to hear. And while I've been preparing this sermon, I have felt so challenged by God that we are supposed to enjoy work like he does to look at what we've made and what we've been doing and see that it's good. And this is only one verse in a really rich and plentiful chapter, in a really rich and plentiful story. But actually, let's think about how much of our day we spend working. And I don't just mean employed work, I mean life work too. So cooking and cleaning and raising children and communicating with friends and family and studying and sorting out the insurance and you know, the list goes on. On average, we spend eight hours sleeping and then 12 hours or longer working from about 7am when we wake up to about 7pm, which leaves us four hours of our day for non-working resting time. And let's be honest, how many of us actually successfully rest for four hours in a day? We are constantly working. 
So this is one verse, but we spend over half of our day in this verse, working and taking care of our lot. And I believe that this verse speaks into our current culture of burnout and stress in the workplace. It speaks into our current culture of being overwhelmed and terrified of adulting and adulthood. It speaks into our current culture of working just to pay the bills or feeling pressure to make enough money to buy your own house one day or have your own stuff or raise a family. But it doesn't have to be this way. Now, struggling with the idea of work isn't new for humankind. We all have to work. And as a human race, we've always seems to be that we've always found work really tough. One of the most popular creation myths that was circulating at the time that Genesis was eventually written down, Genesis as a story would have been passed orally throughout people, uh, the people of God and then eventually written down. But one of the other popular stories going on at the time was from Babylon and it's about a god called Marduk. And Marduk, this god, feels that work is beneath him because he's a god. So he creates humankind essentially as a form of cheap slave labour to do his work for him. So work then is presented as laborious and hard and unfulfilling and unfair. And the ultimate goal is to reach the top of the hierarchy, like the gods, so that we don't have to work as labourers anymore. And this is an ancient Babylonian myth, but these feelings towards work are still really prevalent today. Now, I work as an English teacher in a secondary school in Durham, and the calling on my life to be a teacher was really clear to me at a young age. And I know that that's a privilege. There will be lots of you sitting here today still trying to figure out what your calling is, questioning God, praying to God about what you're called to, no matter what your age is. Um, And I know that I'm supposed to teach in some capacity. At the moment, I'm employed as a teacher in a secondary school, but I also teach here at St Thomas's as a volunteer. I'm also, Will and I are starting a family, as you can probably see, and so I'm going to be teaching my child soon as well. So I know that this is a calling on my life, and I know that I am being obedient to it in what I'm doing. Ask me two years ago, and I would have talked about my employed work as my absolute dream. I really genuinely loved it. It's a tough job. Talk to any teacher and they'll tell you that. It's tiring, but I did find it really satisfying. The hard parts were absolutely outweighed by the really great parts of the job. And I was one of those annoying people, lots of my friends will testify, who rarely talked about anything else because I loved working in a school so much and it made me laugh and it made me smile and it was a really significant part of my life. And I still do enjoy my job, But in this season, those enjoyable moments I'm finding are getting fewer and farther apart. And on reflection, reading Genesis 2, I've realised that actually I don't really bounce out of bed and get excited for work in the mornings anymore. And I don't really come home with hilarious and joyful stories about what's happened to me during my day so much anymore. And I find myself managing to get through my work by just taking it one day at a time and living for the weekend so that I don't have to go to work for a couple of days. And it's a mixture of things. 
I think teaching in COVID, I mean, COVID has affected lots of our jobs. Teaching in COVID is really hard. Teaching in the middle of a mental health crisis is really hard. And also my priorities are changing because we're starting a family. And I feel like the job that I am called to is such an all-consuming one that I struggle to see how my priorities as daughter of God, wife, mother, fit into a job that takes up so much of my headspace and time and energy. And as I was reading Genesis 2, I realised that actually my attitude to work had slowly shifted. And I'd fallen into the trap of seeing it as a burden, as an obstacle, and something that's actually holding me back from what I want to spend my time on, which is not what work is supposed to be, and it's not what your calling is supposed to be. And rather than this Babylonian creation myth where humankind are slave labour, the Bible offers us something really starkly different. Work is something that God takes part in as well. So God works here in Genesis. The Bible starts with a story about God working and ordering creation from chaos, creating a world. And God clearly enjoys that work. He stops after every single day and says that it's good. And last week, Brogan taught us that this is a God of pleasure and delight who enjoys the acts of creation, especially when he creates us. And our relational God invites us to partner with him to work. So this God who enjoys and delights in something shares that joy and that delight with us. We get to be co-creators with him to enjoy creating and enjoy working and enjoy taking care of different aspects of this world alongside him. This is what it means to be image bearers, to join in with God in our work and find pleasure in doing so. And when we truly realise this, Why would we ever want to settle for less? I certainly don't. And maybe you're here today and like me, you know what you're called to, be it paid work or caring or volunteering, but you're finding it really hard at the moment. But we don't need to conform to the pattern of this world, seeing work as slave labour, seeing work as a struggle. But actually, we can have our minds transformed by this scripture And through renewing our mindset, through seeing work in the way that God sees work, we can find joy in what we do again. Or maybe you're sitting here and you really don't know what you're called to and you need to pray to God to clarify that calling for you. Which one is it? Just take a moment to think, where are you at with work at the moment? Now, the reality is that while work does come before the fall, it actually is also cursed. So in Genesis 3, spoiler alert for next week, we read that one of the consequences of the fall is that God curses the ground. Adam and Eve rebel against God. One of the things that happens is God curses the ground and work becomes really hard. And that means that it's actually totally normal and expected that we would find work hard. And even though I am living out my calling as a teacher, it's not always going to be easy. And it's the same for you as a student or a computer scientist or a carer at home or a volunteer. As Christians, God is asking us to live out a Genesis 2 Eden mindset in a Genesis 3 fallen world. 
And that means that even on the very best day, work will not totally fulfill us because we live in a world that's broken. But our Yahweh, covenant-keeping God, promises that he will one day bring his kingdom in its fullness. At the moment, we're in this period of the kingdom now because Jesus is victorious over death, but also not yet because Jesus hasn't come back in the second coming. I really believe that God today wants to bring to us an eternal, kingdom-centred, Eden restoration project mindset to our work. He wants to bring freedom and joy to the way that we work and what we do with our hands and with our minds. Now, the third and last thing that I want to point out from Genesis 2 is that we're created to be in community. In verse 18 of Genesis 2, the Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now remember that man here doesn't simply mean male. I mean, he is a male and God then does create a female. But it's the word Adam, which also means humanity. And it's not good for any human then to be alone. This isn't just Adam as one man. He represents all of us. It is not good for us to be alone. And the solution that God has to Adam's loneliness is to create another human. He creates Eve, which means life or woman. And this human is created as a helper for Adam. And interestingly, the word helper is the same word in Hebrew that's used later to describe the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God that lives in us, that guides us and instructs us and challenges us and encourages us. And we're supposed to do the same for each other. This is taught again and again throughout the Bible. A famous example is Proverbs 27, verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And at St. Thomas's here, our vision is following Jesus, building community and loving Newcastle. And Ben, our vicar, often reminds us of the proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone, but if you want to go far, go together. We are better together than we are alone. And that's the way that God intended it to be. Now, the rest of Genesis 2 teaches us specifically about marriage. And I'm not going to dwell on that too much today, because we're actually going to be doing a series on relationships once we've finished in Genesis 3. But the writer paints this intimate picture of marriage in verses 23 to 24. He says, this is Adam speaking, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why man leaves his mother, father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. This is a really intimate form of community that Adam and Eve enter into. But it's only one type of community that humankind are called to, and not every human being is called to it. Let's take Jesus as an example. He lives in community. He actually lives out our perfect purpose as a human being, but he was never married. So he fulfilled his purpose as a human without marriage. So if God creates us to be in community with one another, what can this actually look like apart from being one flesh with a spouse? Well, Jesus lived in community through his family, his parents and his siblings, but also his disciples, 
his friends like Mary and Martha and Lazarus or Mary Magdalene, through eating dinners with so many different people. And even more so, Jesus lived in community through being part of the people of God. This is a family that we've looked at together before at St. Thomas's. We've looked at the story of Abraham, who is the father of the people of God, the father of the Israelites. And there are people that you can be born into as an Israelite, but there are also are people that you can be invited into. And that's true for the Old Testament as well as the New. So during the Exodus story, when the Israelites leave Egypt, there's a verse which tells us that other people joined them because they wanted to be a part of the people of God. And then Jesus in the New Testament invites the woman at the well, who isn't an Israelite, to be part of the people of God. And Paul makes it really clear in Romans that the people of God has expanded from Jews to all Gentiles too. So being part of a community, being part of the people of God, is an important part of what it means to be human in Genesis 2. And as Christians, we get to be part of a vast and international community called the church. And here at St. Thomas's, we get to be in community with one another. And being part of a community that's growing in relationship, in understanding, in challenge and in encouragement together is a really beautiful thing. If you came on our weekend away in the summer or if you're booked on in February, then you'll see this play out. We don't just book these events to fill in our calendar and make ourselves busy, but it's because community is at the core of what it means to follow Jesus. It's why we see small groups are so important here at St. Thomas's. They are our community. They are a vital part of our discipleship together. Now, I'm hugely extroverted, if you didn't know already. So this is the absolute dream for me. Love being part of a community. Absolutely love our small group. Will and I lead one together. And on Tuesday, we sat around the kitchen table. We ate together and it was just wonderful. It was so good to catch up after Christmas. And I genuinely, my heart was full afterwards and I was energised for my week. But I'm also really aware that relationships aren't always simple and they're not always easy. Sometimes, even I am super tired and I have to sort of brace myself for seeing people or being around other people. And sometimes it goes even deeper than just being tired. Some of us here today might be feeling burnt out from relationships and find the idea of being around others right now really, really difficult. Some of us might be feeling broken or hurt by relationships within the church or within our families and friendships and find the idea of letting ourselves be vulnerable with others really, really hard. Some of us might be feeling lonely and anxious about the sheer process and energy that it takes to make meaningful friendships with others. And in the same way that the fall, the rebellion against God in Genesis 3 affected work, the fall affects our relationships too. So here in Genesis 2, verse 25, Adam and his wife were naked and they felt no shame. But in Genesis 3, as a result of the fall, one of the consequences of this disobedience in eating the fruits is that they feel shame and they cover their nakedness. They were intimate and vulnerable and unafraid, but they became afraid, they became distanced from one another and they became ashamed. 
So shame and condemnation and judgment and the ability to hurt one another are suddenly introduced into human relationships. And again, as Christians, we are called to live in a Genesis 2, Eden mindset, in a Genesis 3, fallen world. And that means that even on the best day, a beautiful and meaningful friendship will not fulfil us completely because we're not yet living in the kingdom of God in its fullness. Jesus has won the victory and we have glimpses of kingdom living, but he's not returned yet. And so our relationships are still ultimately broken. But I believe that God today wants to bring freedom from burdens to do with work and to do with relationships and that he wants to bring joy to our community. So can I invite the bands to come back up and we're going to take some time now to respond to what God has been saying to us today. Like I said earlier, I really believe that God has been speaking to us from the moment that we walked into this door, even before. We worship a God who is alive today, who is interested in our lives, who cares for us and who wants to convict us, to challenge us and to encourage us. So can I ask you to stand? And there are three ways that I want you to respond today. I want you to ask yourself, where are you holding back from this Genesis 2 Eden mindset? Where are you holding back from a full relationship with our Yahweh God? Where are you holding back from the partnership that God offers us in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2? Where are we holding back from giving ourselves fully to our work? I know that's a question I definitely need to reflect on myself. Where are we letting ourselves cope in our work rather than flourish? And where are we holding back from community? Where are we hiding instead of joining in? So if you know that you have been challenged by something that you've heard today, or it could be something that God has been speaking to you about about individually from before the sermon or even during the sermon... I want to ask that you would come forward for prayer. We have a prayer ministry team over in the corner here and they will be absolutely happy to pray with you. And really please do that if you feel like that's what you need. If you feel like you are challenged today, that is a really, really powerful way to connect with God and to listen more to what he's saying to you. But before we do that, I want us to respond in our seats too. So if you do feel like God is speaking to you today and you do feel challenged about your relationship with Him, with one another, or your relationship to work, then I ask you to put your hands out in front of you or if you want to, you can get down on your knees. And both of those are sort of visible signs of showing God that we are ready to listen to Him. I'm going to pray and then we're going to pray together and then we'll um, do some song worship. Holy Spirit, come. Come. 
Father God, thank You that You have created each of us to be Your partner, Your co-creator, to know You and for You to know us with all the comfort and peace and joy and authority that this brings to our lives. Would we know this to be true for us today? And thank you, God, that you bring freedom from our burdens around work and relationships. And I pray that each of us would know a release from the weight of work right now. And that this lifting of burden would be a lasting and transformative change in our lives, which draws us closer to you and all the joy that you have to offer us. And I pray that we would be able to fully experience, God, the security, the encouragement and the challenge and the joy that comes from being in a loving community. And that we would know deeply the value of the community that we're invited into here at St. Thomas's. Amen. Now, before we go into a time of sung worship together, I'd just like us to pray the Lord's Prayer together. And the reason is because this is our family prayer. It's a prayer of our community. And it's a prayer where we ask God to provide for us, but also to lead us, to guide us, to deliver us and to rescue us. And that is absolutely what we need today. So let's pray it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. So we're going to be singing again now. We're going to be singing worship together. But I really want to encourage you to go up for prayer. If you know that the Lord is speaking to you, gather in our community and pray for one another about it. So prayer ministry is happening over here and the words for the song will be on the screen.